Hello, and welcome to AMM Conversation, the official podcast of the Association of Medical Media. I'm your host, Jason Karras. Season two of the podcast is exploring the new normal in medical media. In this episode, we continue the conversation around how medical media is coping, adapting, and excelling during the COVID-19 pandemic. Our guest today is Dora Shankman, president and CEO of Shankman Marketing and Media Resources. Dora is a well-known industry veteran, having worked on advertising plans, strategy, and brand launches for numerous pharmaceutical and biotech companies. Her expertise is in oncology, ophthalmology, cardiovascular, and pain management. Thanks for joining me. Now let's start the conversation. Let's talk about, you know, quickly your experience and what exactly you're doing now. So I'm right now, currently, I'm working with a few pharmaceutical companies in their marketing team where we're developing strategies and reformulating media plans in order to stay current with the existing situation with the pandemic. So we're revisiting all of the strategic tactics that we've already been contracted for and deciding whether or not we want to keep the same tactics. Do we want to reallocate? Do we want to change creative? And also allocations of budgets have become a very large component of the media plans. What's been the biggest challenge that COVID-19 and the pandemic has placed upon you and your teams? The biggest challenge has been maintaining budgets and being able to make recommendations that we believe are going to benefit the brands during this period of time. Some items that were going to be unnatural for a product's media strategies has completely changed. For example, point of care. We had cover app programs in doctor offices that were going to launch and we're in the middle of launching. What, without having the physicians in the offices and the patients signing in, those venues are, are not able to be viewed and therefore cannot be executed. Uh, ultimately, certain products are considered necessary throughout the pandemic. However, there are other brands that are involved, whether it's in an elective surgery or post-surgery, whether it's in the ophthalmology space or dermatology, that all of a sudden, the sales force had to immediately stop. And because of that, the non-personal promotion will not really affect the end user, whether it's the physician or the allied healthcare professional like NP or PA. That's affected it greatly. And a lot of the brand's sales have declined in different companies. With sales declining, advertising is the first to go. So now the sales have declined. They still have to keep their numbers. Advertising budgets have been slashed almost immediately. And we have contracts and commitments. So it's been very difficult for all of the end users. Yeah, and I've, you know, I've heard from some of the teams that, you know, there's been a shift and, you know, most of the most of the pharmaceutical companies, they don't want to pull budgets, but they want to either pause or reallocate. Is that kind of what you're seeing and recommending? Yes. We've had some clients pause. Fortunately, we haven't had them completely cut. It's been either reallocated to other tactics, such as digital, very simply targeted programs that either could be going on line by a physician where they're doing telemedicine, for example, or email blasts, which we have to now be very careful about. In month one, email blasts, everybody was very excited about. They were getting a huge open rate, but now all of a sudden, fast forward three months later, physicians are now receiving 350 emails a day. They're no longer reading it. And we've seen declines of open rates of 40% to single digit numbers. So that's something that had to change. 
the big really challenge that companies are having, because I do work a lot with various brand teams, is that the sales force cannot get in to see the position now, and they're not making as much time with the rep either. So how do you get that information to the audience unless you do non-personal media? So sales has been a challenge, the non-personal media has been a challenge, but there are still ways of doing it and we just have to be creative. Pharma has been a little insulated from the downturn, but like you said, in surgery, in Durham, and some of the face-to-face must-see um, specialties. Let's talk a little bit more about the trends with the reallocations and the budget cuts. You know, is, you said digital, um, but digital is kind of hesitant. What about multimedia or CME, um, you know, now that meetings have sort of been slowly moving to all virtual? What are some of those more detailed trends that you've started to see? What I'm seeing now and I'm actually working on currently is several of the meetings have become virtual or several of the meetings that were planned, whether it's a society convention or whether it's a local meeting that the representatives or national sales managers have had with their audiences that they've planned. They've all gone virtual, at least in the brands that I'm working with, and all of the creative had to be readjusted. All of the boards and the visual aids that were created had to be created to accommodate a digital platform. What I can say, though, is there's been a lot of positive responses from the audiences in the various um, physician specialties and, again, allied healthcare professionals. And what I mean by that is right now I have not seen as much optimism by the doctors asking for information. They are actually reaching out to the physicians and the medical directors of pharmaceutical companies asking for specific information. They need to know what's going on. They're talking to their patients in a telemedicine platform and they need to be educated on what the latest items are in within each particular audience. So the meetings are important as far as the conventions, but what's really important is they're relying on their representatives, in this case, or the companies to provide them with information. And it could be in an advertising format as long as there's editorial and concrete content that's going to help them understand how to use a brand and also how to, I guess, move forward. That's really what everybody, I've probably seen about eight different audiences, including primary care, sleep, oncology. Everybody's asking the same thing. How do we work in this environment? How do we get the brands? What do we do about pricing? So the EHRs, for example, electronic health record platforms, telemedicine, those are becoming very large. They don't want to see just a journal ad that's going into a um, digital magazine that's being sent to them. They're not looking at that right now. And I'm a big supporter of print and digital publishing, a very big supporter. But just during this particular time, we have to be creative if we're going to do that on how we communicate that to the end user. Because they're, op- they're open to this information where before they might not have been. They were too busy seeing patients. Now they're online constantly. So we have a captive audience. Yeah, I've, I've, I've you know, in talking to a couple of the, you know, Elsevier and, and the Helio teams, you know, I said, you know, you've seen these rates. And like I said, we saw a huge spike in digital engagement for the first couple of months of the pandemic. How are you going to capitalize on that? And like you said, there has been a little bit of a, a downturn with that. But when the engagement is available, um, you know, what are the pharma companies looking to do there? Provide information, both not only branded, they want information about, um, when I say unbranded, a lot of 
techniques with strategy has been to educate the audience on specific information about a specific therapeutic category. So the audience is looking for information on what's happening in, you know, the lung cancer category, the sleep category, the arthritis category, what's, what's going on, what brands are out there, what can we do to help our patients and make them feel comfortable as well as even coming back to the audience, coming back to the office. But and then they're fine with giving information about your own brands as long as the safety information's there, everything is in compliance. They just don't want to be inundated with ads without any information that helps them. They're, again, this is the first time in my career, which is a long time, where I've actually seen healthcare professionals requesting information from the company. What I can say, though, and I've been involved in a few focus groups lately where physicians are telling us what they want. If you lose them once, though, and don't do that and stick to the traditional way of here's an ad and just keep giving them the ad programmatically or whichever format you use, you will lose them. They, they, they will remember that. Right now, they're very promotion sensitive. So that could work to your advantage or against, against a company. Yeah, promotion sensitivity. That's, that's kind of an interesting term there. Um, you know, you have to be omni-channel. You have to be a little bit more deep learning, right? And, and I heard from, um, you know, some of the folks at Elsevier that, you know, they're using this, this chance to sort of pivot and become more of a partner, you know, and, and be able to give insights during this time to their clients to, you know, sort of guide them through this and, and be another piece of that information bubble or <laughs> that information puzzle that you have to be able to figure out. Are you seeing that from the publisher side and, and, and from those on the sales side? It seems that the, the sales side, I think, are being very creative and very strategic in trying to really understand brand by brand what the objectives are and what short term, everything now has to be short term because long term doesn't exist at this moment because we don't know next month, for example, what will happen. I had a couple of point of care contracts that we had to move into early next year because the offices aren't open. We've seen creativity in geographic areas. There might be areas geographically where we talk about segmentation. We talk about trying to reach specific audiences in certain states. There are states that are open, for example, and maybe in those states you can do certain programs that you would not be able to do in a state that's maybe phase one or phase two of the pandemic. I do think though that we need to be able to be very targeted. Um, the days of the universe reaching everybody in a specific audience, we can't do right now. We have to really focus. And I know my clients are looking at their prescribing list. They're looking at sales. They're looking at who potential customers are. And that's who they're reaching out to. The other audiences, which would be nice to create awareness right now, right now awareness isn't really an objective for many of our clients because we really need very specific call to action type of messages. And I think that's where we'll see a quick response on a campaign's performance. It is an investment. It will cost more money since creative has to be redesigned to a degree, but it doesn't have to be completely modified. The ironic thing is that while it seems like the economy has been shut down, all this work and extra targeting and recreative and rethinking and recontracting, right, is this whole extra ton of stuff that needs to be done just to sort of keep the ball moving, right? I have spoken to at least 10 marketing directors at different companies and they've all said to me they've never been busier we are busier now than ever you know one of the things we talked about earlier on you know prior to this is you know how has being working off out of an office changed 
and, and I think we work harder. If you're disciplined as a professional, I think you work harder being home or wherever your off-site location might be because you have to be focused and you really have to be on top of it. You don't have that distraction that you might have in an office with a coffee clutch or you know, having a three-hour lunch. There, there is no time <laughs> for that. You're up, you're seven in the morning, you shower, you're at the computer and you're in, I know I'm in Zoom meetings and Microsoft team meetings you know, all day, every day. Yeah, you know, it is a, you know, a couple of the sales folks have said, you know, and, and on the marketing side a little bit that, you know, the the travel restrictions is both good and bad because, you know, some are like, you know, my spouse wants to kick me out. Like they liked that time that I was away, you know, but at the yes. same time, you know, and then there's this, you know, the Zoom fatigue, uh, you know, just meeting after meeting. Um, how's that worked for you guys per personally? being in that same space over and over and over versus being out in the world a little bit? I say I'm, I'm a lot more efficient being in the space and I am very disciplined. So I've been successful doing it. I do miss the interaction in person. I don't miss commuting. I don't think anybody who's listening to this <laughs> podcast will miss commuting. I don't miss three hour trips to the client site, but it is something that makes you a lot more efficient and a lot more focused. And I do think it'll be a welcome comeback when we can meet with everyone. But I think this has been a game changer. I don't think it's ever going to be going back to the way it was where everybody's in the office five days a week. I think that we've proven, at least in our industry and folks I've spoken to on the agency, publishing and pharma company side and device company side, if you're focused and disciplined, I think this might be a new way of doing business. Maybe not exactly the way it is, but definitely a, a, a portion of it. I'm hearing now companies that are people going back in the fall two days a week and alternating with different teams. Yeah. I think Matt Holland said, you know, it's, it's somewhat, it, you know, it's, it's unlike some industries, it is a little bit easier in, in, in our industry to measure because, you know, you're putting out product, you're, you're, you're on your meetings, you know, you got your sales at the end of every month, you can measure what you're doing in this space on a regular, even real time basis we're not really manufacturing things, you know, we don't have widgets. He agreed that, you know, it's likely a two or a three day work week moving back. Absolutely. I will tell you a negative, a negative, and this is not something that's new, but it is something that I recently experienced. I had a couple of client meetings where they mandated that we were on video, not just audio. When you're on audio, and that's been, I think, a problem. People who are not used to being on conference, I'm used to this because this is, Many of my clients are all over, so we don't always meet in person. So teleconferencing is very familiar to me. But a lot of clients, as you know, or if you have large meetings with over 20 people, they're multitasking. And when you're on a video, you cannot multitask. So several clients mandated that we had to be on video because how many times has anyone been on a meeting and they ask a question, oh, could you please repeat that? You know they're multitasking, they're not even listening. So I find that it is a good way of also keeping people engaged by having the in-person video as well as the audio, not just audio. We'll be right back after a message from the Association of Medical Media. Hi, I'm Jess Campbell from the Association of Medical Media. We're thrilled you're listening to our new podcast series, AMM Conversation. Along with our podcast, AMM is pleased to host a variety of resources for our members, located within the Knowledge Exchange on ammonline.org. Among these member resources are presentations and recaps from previous educational sessions, 
and our Medical Media Matters fact sheets that cover key topics underscoring the value and importance of medical publishing. The AMM is proud to be there to support everyone through these difficult times. And while we wish we could gather in person as a community, for now, we hope you keep an eye out for our next virtual event. You can find out more, access our knowledge exchange, and become an AMM member by visiting ammonline.org. We're back with Dora Shankman chatting about the new normal in medical media. Now let's get back to the conversation. Anything else personally or for a team or with a client that hasn't worked well during the pandemic? Not really. Maybe conflicts. Um, maybe conflicts. Now that everybody is available to have meetings, it's juggling the prioritization of clients who want to have the calls at the same time. I have one client, both HCP and DTC, the meetings are exactly the same time. If you choose one over another, then, oh, are they more important? So I think for me, that's been a big challenge. I could say um, somebody on my team has two small children. They don't have childcare. That's been a challenge. So she's needed to be able to be more flexible. So if the kids are sleeping and she doesn't have care, she would not be able to maybe work certain hours. But again, being able to, my philosophy has always been, if you can get the job done and service the client appropriately, it's, it doesn't matter if you're working six in the morning or three in the morning, as long as the work gets done. It's, but, it, but it is a challenge for folks with small children and being able to attend certain meetings and not having the appropriate care that usually they're used to. And, and part of it's also concentration too, right? Like you may be in your, in your home office, but things are going on versus at work where you can sit in a conference room or sit at your desk or, or go out to lunch. Concentration is a big deal. And you, and that's why earlier I mentioned, you must be disciplined without that discipline. And not everybody has the luxury of having a home office. I, I didn't have a home office a couple of years ago and you know, it would be the kitchen table or the family room table and you have people walking in and out. And if they don't have the same level of experience in the corporate world to them, it's you're on the phone. So they'll put the TV on or you'll hear the dog barking. And so I think there's a lot more patience and understanding by some, not all. Whereas in the past, if you were on a conference call and working from home and they heard a baby cry or a dog bark, the client would actually get angry and be offended. Now it's really just become part of the background noise. So much of the marketing is tethered to in-person events, whether it be the big conventions, symposia, um, you know, the regional and dinners and those kind of things. Did you want to talk about that? And if so, you know, how has that been affected from the pharma side? Um, that's been affected a lot. They've, a lot of the, at least what I'm exposed to, a lot of these meetings had to be canceled. A lot of the meetings were, believe it or not, rescheduled for next year, even though we don't know 100% for sure. But I think there was a comfort of knowing it could be rescheduled. Many of these have gone virtual and digital. And Truthfully, a lot of the attendees that were registered to go in person have registered to appear digitally and virtually, and they're setting up an entire spokesperson, KOL speakers. So I think, although virtual is not the prefer preferential choice for something like this, I think companies are doing a phenomenal job in making sure that they still have the programs and the content that they're going to offer to the attendees. So I, what, I, what I find, because I'm on the buying side is a lot of pricing other than hotel rooms and maybe out-of-pocket expenses have not changed much. That I think is something that procurement as well as marketing executives have commented on. They thought there would be a big reduction in the pricing of these programs given that they're virtual. 
But I understand in a way, even though I am on the buying side, why it cannot be. You still have to have the programs, pay the physicians for their time. Unless you're looking at a flat out-of-pocket expense, you're really, it's costing the same amount to develop the creative, to have all the visual. Because you're looking to have the same visual aids and the visual presentations as you would in person. So it's really the rental of the conference room. You still need a venue to have it in. So I think that's where people have to be a little more understanding that prices are going to be comparable. And, and I've heard from, you know, that side, the association side a little bit that, you know, they didn't get full refunds, you know, well, <laughs> you know, so. actually many companies do not get any refunds, at least in the audiences I know yeah. they're based. And they're, so if they didn't want to do virtual in a way, they're being forced to. And I, but again, I try to look at both sides from the society side. They put a lot of money and time when you plan a meeting, it takes close to a year to have an entire program put together. Now they're being asked to change the venue. Other than, again, an in-person venue, they still have all the same hard expenses to put together. And a lot of the cost is the creative content development and the organization and the projecting. Um, there's a big award ceremony in July. One of my clients won an award and it's a virtual cocktail party and they're going to put everybody on a large screen. So if you think about it, all of the work is the same. It's the travel expenses and maybe the rental of a room. Other than that, everything is still hard costs that they have to pay. Let's talk about uh, company culture and cohesiveness. And you say you work with a, a number of different clients. Can you maybe give us some examples of the differing levels or differing, you know, adoptions of different, you know, work from home and how we're going to get the work done? And like you said, you know, some marketers or many marketers are saying we're busier than ever. How are they getting that done when we've got this big cloud of a pandemic hanging over our head? I can give you actually two very logical, two, two really good examples because they're two current clients of mine without mentioning names. They're both pharmaceutical companies. One is more in the rare disease, another is more in the mainstream. So the mainstream client, believe it or not, is very segregated. They all are focused on their own brands. I speak to each of them, but there is not that unity where they're talking about how all of the brands are doing together. How are they doing as a franchise? Everybody is focused on how are my sales doing? And they'll have one-on-ones with their bosses. I will, I have to proactively remind them I'm here. Let's talk about what I'm buying for you because I am still spending your money and I am still buying media for some of the different programs. They are not, and a couple of the product managers shared with me that they're frustrated because their management is really not giving them any guidance on, on you know, next steps or what to do other than if you want to come in the office a day a week, you can, a lot of the meetings have been canceled, yet they're being judged on the sales of a brand. So they're trying to still speak to the sales team and try to keep them motivated so they can speak to the audiences. But again, a little more segregated than I think it should be. Another client, every day, there are one-on-ones with folks in the, it, it's, a, it's a business unit with two brands and one is actually a launch. So they have one product that's very old, a legacy product. The other is launching within the next two months. They are probably three times a week, we're on the phone with the ad agency, talking about objectives, strategies, what we need to do. The creative agencies are speaking to the media agency in terms of what has to be done. The brand team are doing calls probably twice a week with all of the senior level, whether it's media or account services, creative to stay on top of everything. Regulatory PMRC meetings are still occurring digitally. And again, this is the client I was talking about that wants to see everybody visually. I think there, that's where it's been most successful. Unless, other than having 
interpersonal in-person meetings. The meetings are not being canceled. Everything is appearing and there are deliverables. There are hard due dates. It's not that uh, if you get it to me in the next month, that's fine. By next Tuesday, we need this by this time. So it's really being, I think, managed very well by the team. And I think that's where there won't be much of a difference. And those are the ones that are working harder than ever. COVID-19 is an accelerator. What's working best for pharma? Digital, print, large disease state awareness marketing tactics. Okay, I would, I would like to say print has a place because again, I've been a big print supporter for my entire career. I'm finding that I'm not receiving about 65% of my journals. I've had to reach out to publishers asking for the journal and then I get a digital copy. I'm being told that the printers are not comfortable sending it out. The office is not comfortable with all of this mail during this period. And people are uncomfortable touching it because they're afraid of picking something up. Those are the reasons I'd probably be concerned about print. Otherwise, I would be a big supporter of that. I don't know the answers to some of those, but to me, this is a great time to have print out. People have more time to look at everything. But I don't understand why things are not being mailed if they're being published. So maybe I ask it, I answer that question with a question. If, if the print was being mailed and people are comfortable looking at it, I think it's a great time to have print in there. Um, digital definitely is, has to be creative now. And what I mean by that is you, we cannot inundate our audiences with 300, 400 email blasts a day because they will not open it, they will just delete it. So I think we have to be very selective. What I've seen work and there's been testing done is when you are sending an email out, what is the subject in the, I mean, that's common sense, but you'd be surprised how many people don't care. They just, they won't get the headline. So digital emails are very important with that. Digital, when we say digital, we talk about display, contextual. If somebody is searching for something, programmatic, being able to align with that particular information that we're looking for. Telemedicine now, that's starting, it's just starting. People are calling telemedicine, telemedicine, but the truth of the matter is very few companies are doing that. True telemedicine is the physician is on the phone with their patient, your messaging is on site with the physician or the patient during the active time that they're communicating. And that's still being worked on. Yeah, real-time interaction, right? Real-time interaction, because once that call is disconnected, so is your advertising. So a lot of times telemedicine is being called telemedicine, but it's really point of care. It's really display digital, whatever that might be. Um, disease state, it depends on what's following up with that. I, I don't, I think less of that right now, in my opinion. It, it's not that it's a bad thing, but if you have the disease state awareness, you need to be able to hopefully follow up with something branded if you're specifically trying to have a brand get the awareness and the exposure. We're launching a product now, and yes, we have a big unbranded campaign talking about the disease state, but that will be followed up or simultaneous with specific branded messaging. Yeah, and that goes back to your targeting, right? This, this is a time for micro-targeting, right? Correct. Micro-targeting is very important because even if you're reaching a small audience that's digitally engaged, that audience could be, you, you can reach 10% of an audience, which might be 80% of a of your prescribers or physicians that are your customer base. How are pharma brands promoting one detail reps on Zoom, two sampling and three posters at virtual congresses on Twitter? 
Sure, I'm going to, so with the virtual, so I know that a several of this, for the sales force, they have been given certain, you know, iPads, they've been issued specific iPads that they could actually have presentations that have been customized for their audiences and for the physicians. So if they can get the appointment with the physician and the telemedicine, the, the content of their call has changed because they are talking a lot. Half the call is not anymore about the product. The physicians appreciate the education about how they can help their business be successful during the time. Doctors are human beings, nurse practitioners, dentists, whatever the audience might be. They're all afraid of also getting sick. So they prefer the telemedicine now. I've had physicians who actually would say to a sales rep, they would rather not have to see a patient in person unless it's for a very specific EKG or a colonoscopy or whatever the procedure might be. And patients prefer it because they don't have to travel to see the physician and be exposed. So the reps are very successful with that, but the presentations, again, need to be geared toward the particular current situation. And if they are, they many times get a callback. They are asking for the samples. A lot of times those are being shipped to them. That hasn't really changed much other than the samples may not have been as generous in the past. Now, I think some of the budget is being used to send physicians where applicable samples. And the other question about the Congress is, you do have a, I believe, a smaller attendance, but you still have a pretty decent size digitally and virtually if somebody planned on attending a meeting. We've also seen where some people who are not going to travel now make the time because they're given options. With Congresses, if somebody couldn't take three days off to join a meeting and go to all the symposia, they might be able to attend one day. And what I'm seeing is options of partial attendance where maybe you can't go to the full meeting, I can go to day one and they only paid for that. So now I will mention with the elective surgeries, that's been a big challenge with some clients. Where they've lost revenue for the sales of the brand, that's where there was a direct correlation with advertising. Fortunately, I haven't seen layoffs, but I have seen the advertising being cut so they can recoup dollars for that during a period and then they be back two or three months later. Yeah, where they don't see a, a an easy shift or, you know, just put it on pause, right? No, some some of our brands, I don't have anybody that's actually paused completely. They were afraid if they did that, okay. they'd be completely out of mind. But we were very specific with what we did, especially, again, print is, a, is really, I'd love to hear the answer to that. You know, what are we doing about the issues that are being published, but are not being mailed to the audiences? I've been receiving tear sheets for print campaigns in email. So the magazine is being printed, but I'm not physically able to see it and read it. Yeah. So I don't know. Again, that's that that is going to become a challenge at some point from companies if they want to audit the mailing of specific camp, you know, specific publications. Um, digital, I think content is very important. Resource centers are becoming very big, specific to a therapeutic category. Share a voice. Everybody is trying to lock out the competitor. So there, I've seen an increase in prices of cost per thousand, or if somebody wants to own a specific category, I've seen an increase in the pricing to be able to do that. Interesting. Yeah. So just a couple more questions. And again, thanks for your time. Oh, thank you. you. Know, it's July now. Everybody, when the pandemic hit, was like, okay, well, we might lose the summer. That's usually not a big time for us, but we're definitely going to be, we're looking to fall. Are we now starting to look towards 2021? We are, I'm afraid we are. So many of the meetings that we thought were going to be live in 2020 are not. And I think companies are afraid, even if they do open up, 
that they won't get the attendees that they expected to have. But what's nice is that there is planning going on for 21. Reservations are already being committed to and accepted and plans for that live are being done. And I think that this opens up another venue instead of looking at it, you know, the cliche being the glass half full or half empty. I think the fact that now this is an option, this is something that I think many societies and companies are going to look at. If there's a meeting that may not have as large of an attendee for say a rare disease product or a very unique niche audience, this is another option now that could still educate the audience and provide the information needed without the travel if people are afraid. I don't, I, I think we're beyond 20, I think 21 is a start, but I don't think we'll be back full capacity until 22. And that's just my opinion from what I'm hearing, vaccines and products. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the potential um, long lasting effects of the pandemic is that, you know, these associations and these meetings moving virtual you know, mistakes are going to be made and they may take a hit to their pocket, you know, to the bottom line, but they will be sort of, you know, proof of concepts moving forward. And you probably will see less in-person meetings in the future, right? I, I do think so. And, or there'll be options. I've had one society actually give the client an option for next year. Would you, because we're a sponsor, would you like to do this virtually or would you like to do it in person? And right now they're reserving their right to respond to that because they're not sure. But I think we'll get a lot of, we're in person many times, other than the number of attendees, we can't really put a response to that or quantify it. I think with the digital platform, we'll be able to quantify a little more, which opens up a whole other area for programs that could be recreated or revamped in audiences. So I do think there's some benefits to this. Obviously, you cannot ever replace the interaction with people. That's, to me, the ultimate. But we don't have a choice right now. We're trying to work through it. And I think everyone, at least in our industry, has done a great job you know, working and dealing. Even the ad agencies, I'm pretty impressed with many of my colleagues at different ad agencies. The account folks are working. We, it's funny. We have 8 o'clock meetings. And 8 o'clock meetings in the past would be nothing, right? We leave the house at 6 o'clock, 5.30, we're commuting. Now, all of a sudden, people are jumping out of bed at seven o'clock. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting, but I think people are working harder than ever. I don't think that the amount of work has decreased, at least not in the business and what we all know. What do you see the long lasting effects? What's the 30,000 foot view, you know, sort of crystal ball looking forward uh, for the industry, uh, pharma, media side? What's the, what's the crystal ball looking forward? Again, this is my opinion, but I think that there are going to be, based on the size of an organization, I think some of the smaller companies, ad agencies, publishers, digital companies, are going to rethink whether or not it's necessary to rent the large amount of space that they rent for all of their employees. I always think there'll be a home office, not a home office, I'm sorry, a base office for their organization, but I don't think that that expense is something that is going to continue moving forward. I think there will be reconsideration. Some of the larger companies are always going to have the, the option to come into the office, but I know rent is a big expense for many companies and with budgets being cut and challenges of procurement and other areas having to be efficient for their company and clients, they're, they're always looking at ways of cutting expenses without cutting the deliverables of the quality. So I think that's something that will change the amount of days somebody is expected 
to be in the office is going to be flexible, I believe, because we're proving that we can do the work. And if clients are accepting of that, I think that's something that's going to be a big change for the future. And again, I do think the meetings will come back, you know, the conventions, that's, that's very important, but I don't think telemedicine is going away. That was something that originally was tried for years. I know it's been a, a promotional type of tactic that companies looked at to use. It never was really fine-tuned. Now that we were forced to go with that, I don't think that's going away. Doctors actually like telemedicine. I've spoken to at least 100 physicians over the last month because I've been part of market research meetings. They like it and they want to continue doing this. So I think that's going to be here to stay and be a big opportunity for companies that are in the EHR platform and you know, digital platform as well. Social media is something that I think is going to have a lot of changes too in the way it's being done. I know that social media is supposed to have freedom of speech. I think there's going to be a lot of controversy there in terms of ads that are accepted, companies that are going to support it. So I think we're going to see a big variety of changes on how we communicate. And there's going to be a lot of micro marketing going on, which was a key term many years ago. Now I think that's going to be back. The big days of reaching all the audiences of you know, primary care or the universe of orthopedic surgeons or reaching patients age 25 to 54, it's going to be very fine-tuned now. That's all for this episode of AMM Conversation, official podcast of the Association of Medical Media. Thank you for listening. Make sure to join us next week as we conclude season two of the podcast with Eugene Lee and Jim Woodland of CMI Compass, as well as Seema Sherman of Sherman Medical Marketing Group. More information on the new normal in medical media is available at ammonline.org. Make sure to listen, subscribe, give us a rating, leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the guests and not necessarily to the host, AMM, or any other group or individual.